Well, it, it is really good to be back. I'm, I'm shocked that you had me back, so this, that's good. Um, if you weren't here last time, I like to have fun. I like to laugh, and so it's okay. I, I noticed you already were doing some laughing. You can laugh at me, my pointy head, whatever. Whatever gets you going and, and, and you know, engaged. Um, I just want to remind you that um, last time I was here, we did a little branding work. Do you remember that? Those of you who are here, we did a little branding work. And I'm kind of disappointed. Like, this is, this is great and all. Like, I, this is very elaborate. I see you've gone with the west part of the sun. Um, but I, I, last time I reminded you that you are very strategically placed on a pie-shaped lot. Remember this? Pie-shaped lot, which means, hello, Pie, for one thing, is huge. It should be part of your branding. This could be pizza, pizza pie, like just it's a pizza pie kind of thing. So I'm actually very disappointed after doing all that work for you last time I was here that you've now leaned into this, this theme instead. Very disgusted. But um, that's, that's, that, that said, um, I did work on it. I didn't get the sense that maybe you'd run with it while I was gone, even though Pastor Matt is on sabbatical, like we could get away with so much. Um, but I, I took the liberty of Googling your logo. This is your, your logo, which is okay, I guess. It's like an S popsicle or something. I'm not sure exactly. But popsicles are cool. Not as cool as pizza or pie. Now, just, just a little, just again to make my point. If you like pizza, please put up your hand. If you like pie, put up your hand. Keep your hand up if you like pizza. If you like pie, put up your other hand. Pizza, pie. Look how many people we could reach. Like, this is literally everybody. And by the way, worship leaders, did you notice? I had everybody's hands in the air. This is just happening. Now, I've done it. So here's my, my initial concept. If you don't like it, that's too bad. Um, but this is what I was thinking. The next, the next thing is you could go with like a pizza. This would attract a certain number of people. If that's, if that's a little too on the nose, I get it. We can go with something a little more subtle. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now, as a guy, like... I want to get me a slice of Sun West. Pardon the pun. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Well, um, I, I told you last time that this is potentially a game-changing, you know, branding kind of opportunity. But in, in all seriousness, last time I was here, we asked the question, why don't game-changing truths, like in particular the Word of God, why don't game-changing truths change our lives very often? Like the Word of God that spoke the, the cosmos into being somehow hits a bottleneck in me. That's, that's a bizarre concept. The painful truth we came to was that the answer to the question, why don't game-changing truths change our lives very often, is that my heart and your heart, are we're hostile to God's truth. We are resistant. Sin has corrupted us in such a profound way that we actually have three layers of defense against God's word. Because how many of you know that when God's word is able to do what God's word is designed to do, it creates worlds. I mean, this is powerful. So if we could somehow get out of the way, right, and, and let God's word do what it's designed to do, that would be pretty awesome. Now, last time we looked at the parable of the soils, which 
quite honestly, is like the most phenomenal parable ever. Um, if you want to bring that next one, there we go. Yeah, this is my, <laughs> this is like, <gasps> this is like game changing uh, to, to a whole different level. One of my favorite sections of scripture. Now, if you weren't here last week or you don't know what I'm talking about or you're not a Bible person, let's just read it through again. And what I'd like you to do is just humor me for just a second. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word now? Would you just stand with me? I'll do the reading. You don't have to do that. And as I'm reading, I want you to look at these these pictures that I've got here below me, because this is going to represent what we're going to unpack here again today. So Jesus spoke this parable, and he said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him or let them hear. At which point the disciples are like, I don't get it. So Jesus said, well, then listen to what the parable means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky soil refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed on good soil stands for those of the noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. You may be seated. You notice I've quoted a couple of different versions of the parable. That's because Matthew, Mark, and Luke include versions of this parable. So Jesus speaks it, and then they underline it, and then they highlight it. Why? Because this is supposed to become a paradigm, a filter through which we actually see our lives. Now, have you ever wondered why it says, by persevering, produce a crop? Like, doesn't God's word do all the work? And the answer apparently is not the case. Apparently God's word is poised and ready to do its work, but we have to cooperate. We have to steward the seeds of truth that God plants in our hearts. And if we don't persevere through the the obstacles of paths and rocks and weeds, it will not produce the crop. Now, how many of you, again, want the 30, 60, 100 fold? Wouldn't that be amazing for God's word to be able to do that in our lives? That's we talked about last week. Now, to, to review a little bit, you can tell I'm doing some review because I, I think it's that important. And if some of you missed it, I wanted you to be able to come along for the ride to to kind of recap again. Paths represent. Whoops, there we go. Paths represent our habits, our habits. See, a path is a way or a track made by continuous treading. In other words, these are the places in our our lives where we always go. 
We just always, that's the way we think. That's the way we handle conflict. As soon as we feel cornered, we act in a certain way. This is how we do our finances. This is how we parent our kids. We have paths. Paths are like automated scripts in our lives. So can you imagine what it would be like to have to think through every single moment, every single brush stroke? So when you're brushing your teeth, you're not like, oh man, this is so hard. Your brain's like, I got this. I got this. I remember this. This is ringing a bell. Why don't we, uh, yeah, there it is. We'll just run the script and we just, we can go into autopilot while we're brushing our teeth. So the beauty of a path is that it lets us automate things. The difficulty with a path is that because we're not thinking, when God tries to plant his truth in our hearts, it kind of bounces right off. Why? Because we're just so busy motoring along with the way we always do stuff. Okay? So that's the, the, the paths representing our habits. Rocky soil represents our faulty convictions. In other words, there are times when God's word actually germinates. It actually, we we go, this is awesome, right? And we take it in and we let it start to to mess with our hearts a little bit. But then what happens? As soon as it starts to grow roots, it bumps into something. What does it bump into? The hardened places in my heart where I already believe something that might be contrary to the thing that God's trying to tell me. And these are not just beliefs. These are convictions. See, a conviction is a belief with emotion wrapped around it, forged in the fire of experience, and we do not let it go. Why? Because it feels true. So whenever God tries to put something in my heart, but I bumps into what I already believe in my deep-held convictions and the things I learned in my woundedness and the trials of life, and my daddy told me, God's word sometimes takes a back seat. As soon as the heat comes up, costs us something in our life, it withers. Then we have our weeds. Weeds represent our misplaced energies. Our misplaced energies. The things that we have affections for. Our priorities. See, this is all happening under the hood. This is all happening in our hearts. So the weeds are plants I'm growing in my own heart that are currently taking up real estate and moisture and sunshine and energy that I should be giving to the seed God is trying to plant in me. And if I am not willing to give God's word the energy I'm currently giving to other things, it will choke out what God is trying to do in my life. There, I did it. I, I, I summarized all the whole last sermon. Uh, I did a much better job last time. So I'm pretty proud of myself. That was pretty concise, though. Okay, so the good news, this is where we let, ended off last time, is that all of these heart conditions are reversible if we will let God reverse the conditions in our hearts. I know it's very profound. It's like you just flipped it. I know. But, but the truth is, the truth is all of these things are reversible. No farmer is going to like buy a field, walk on it and go, oh, there's a path. Oh, well. Right? No farmer is going to go, oh, man, there's rocks in the field. I guess I can't plant anything here. No farmer is going to go, well, sucks to have weeds, I guess. Maybe next year. Like the job of farming is to till under hardened places to remove rocks. How many of you have seen piles of rocks at the edge of a farmer's field? 
right? That's because there are months and years and years, maybe generations of removing rocks from the soil and the weeds, man, that's a constant battle. If you have a garden, you know what that's all about. No farmer just gives up. So none of these are reversible, especially when we're dealing with King Jesus. Can I get an amen? Okay. So (laughs) problem, the problem is that we pursue and protect our personal equilibrium at all costs. So what this represents is our normal. I've got my ways of doing what I do. I got the things I already believe and they're kind of working for me and I'm investing my energy because I want to in those things. My life is like this because this is how I like it. And then God says, well, we could change that. And you're like, no, don't think so. Don't think so. And as soon as somebody, anybody, like it could be the mailman, it doesn't matter. Anybody disrupts our paths. We're like, got to get that back to the way it was. Like as soon as we've experienced disequilibrium in our lives, we work overtime to try to put things back the way they were and fix it so that we can get back to doing what we've always done. Right? Now, here's my premise for today. My premise for today is that disruption is a divine sacrament. Because if we have any hope of a seed being planted here, here, or here, it's going to have to come through disruption. Can you see that? Something's going to have to change. Disruption is a divine sacrament. What do I mean by a sacrament? I think the definition is that a sacrament is a means of grace. In other words, it's not something we earn, but it's a channel through which God funnels his life and his love and his peace and his power. And so these are sacramental channels. So what I'm saying to you today, and man, am I a walking illustration of that. My last six months have been brutal. But disruption is a means of grace. It's a divine sacrament. Why? Because it opens up windows of opportunity for personal change. Right? And we're going to talk about these in in detail in just a minute. It opens up windows of opportunity. What I mean by a window is that it's not a door standing open. You don't understand the, the... the kind of colloquialism, right? It's, it's like a window of opportunity, a little window of time where, where something is made possible and then it closes and you know, don't always know when it's going to close. What I'm saying is that when, you, when our lives are disrupted, a window opens through which God can pour new stuff. Things can take root in a way they couldn't before, and then it'll close. So we have to take advantage of those divine opportunities. And how does it do it? Because it creates greater openness to God's truth. I hate change, especially the change I'm not initiating. But the the game-changing truth is that I'm never more open to God's truth and transformation than when I'm being disrupted already. You know, like when when you're, when you're moving, Shauna and I just moved into a new house. Everything's different. So now I can't just put my foot down and insist that all my paths stay the same, that everything stays the same because that would be a losing battle. So I'm like, okay. So now I'm way more open to change stuff than I would have been otherwise. Now, 
What I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about the, the sacrament of disruption in each of these first three panels. Okay, so I want to talk about what is the disruption that opens a window of opportunity in each of these areas for personal change and growth. All right, so let's talk about these. First one is our paths, our habits. What's the window? Life changes. I've already, I've already kind of indicated this. And these could be good changes or bad changes. This could be uh, getting a new job. This could be uh, the arrival of a, a child or, you know, either through birth or adoption. This could be, you know, just something massive changes in your life, like new neighbors, you know, arrive next door. It could be anything. But when, when your path is disrupted... The principle is, we're, when we're, we're trying, when we're open to trying new things, when life disrupts our paths, or we need to find new ones. Um, when I was a kid, I uh, had this certain way that I walked to school every single day. How many of you did that? When you walk into school, it's like every single day we walk down the same path. And right next to the school, there was a giant yard. It was like a third of an acre or something, completely open field. And so we all just walked across the field at a 90-degree angle, just across the field every day. And guess what we did? We made a way or a track made by continuous treading. So there's this, this worn-out path along this guy's yard. And we just all, and he, he'd always like, get off my lawn. But we would just, that's the way I'm walking. Like, sir, it's right there, right? So, and, and we're not thinking. Well, maybe I was a little defiant. But I, was, I wasn't like thinking, I'm just doing. Because that's the way I always go. Until one day, idiot puts up a fence. <laughs> and, he, and he didn't put it around his whole yard. He couldn't afford that. He just put it at the end. So we're like... Heads down, walk to the end of the yard, and there's a chain link fence. We're like, we're stuck. Like, we can't, we can't escape. So now I have to choose a different path. See, the thing about paths and habits is you don't change them because they're working for you. So you don't change them until they no longer take you where you want to go. That's the only time you ever change. So you, until you need a new path... Or you're prevented from, you know, going where you want to go and you've got to find a different way around, you're not going to change. So disruption is that gift of change when life kind of moves and shifts around us. I, again, moving to this new house, I still find myself, and I'm driving, we're, we're in the north, driving down Country Hills Boulevard, and Shauna's like, nope, 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 and what am I doing? I'm going home. I'm going to the place I've gone for 12 years. We don't live there anymore. Right? So I'm still on autopilot. I'm not thinking. And so I need to be disrupted in order for that to change. Does that make sense? Okay. So when, when life changes, instead of going, oh no, think of it like, okay, I'm now open to other things changing as well. All right? What about the rocky soil? Our convictions. This one's fun. This one's a lot of fun. The window are box breakers or box breaking revelations. These are truths that sneak in somehow that change the way you see or think. So, so have you ever, have you ever said to yourself or heard someone say, use the expression where something God does something or something happens in life. And you're like, I don't have a box for that. 
right? Like, I, ju- I don't have a way of processing what just happened. And this could be negative. It could be positive. Uh, sometimes it's, it happens when God answers a prayer or somebody acts in a way that seems uncharacteristic of them. It could happen when you just are suddenly hit like a two by four over the head with a truth that you've, you've never seen it that way before. Just like kaboom, it breaks your box. The principle is we're more teachable when we experience these box-breaking moments. Because in that moment, when your box breaks, you realize, I don't know some stuff. Right? Like, there's things I don't know. Like, what else don't I know? And, and I've actually, this is, this is one of my favorites. I love to learn. I love to grow. So when my box breaks, this is like, this is awesome. Because this means something can change. I don't know if I told this story here before, but years and years ago, I was working at Red Lobster between churches, and um, one of my guys, the guys that I worked with, his name was Scott. I'll tell you his name because it's so many years ago, you can't trace it, but he, he, was, he was a party animal, and one New Year's Eve, he found himself, I think they're in a, like an apartment block or something, he found himself, you can edit this out if you want, buck naked, uh, r- running up and down the stairwell at 3 a.m., Okay, so he's just like, woohoo, up and down, up and down, up and down, slips and breaks his ribs on the stairs. Bang! So he comes into work like a day or two later. Oh, like he's just like, he's holding his side. He's taped up. He's a server. So he's got to hold the tray with drinks on it, which is putting all attention on. And part of me is going, good. Deserve it. I heard what happened, you know? So I'm just like, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's like, do you ever, you know, that mom look? <laughs> it's just like, mm, really, Brad? It's like, okay. So I felt this prompting to, to pray for Scott. And so I asked him if I could pray for him. He was tapping stuff in on the little computer screen. And I prayed for him and uh, didn't see anything happen. But uh, a couple minutes later, he comes to me. He goes, so uh, when is this supposed to kick in? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. It's not... And... Um, so the shift goes by, he's still in pain, whatever. I see him like two days later, next shift, and, or, that I was working with him. And he comes to me, he goes, oh, he said, I'm totally healed. Like I'm doing sit-ups and stuff. Like it's completely, and, and I'm like broke my box. I'm like, what? I feel like, remember the story of Jonah when the Ninevites repent and, <laughs> and he's like, uh-uh, that's not fair. I'm like, really God? You heal? Like, so then God's like... Again, I'm like, okay, okay, I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him. So first of all, his box is broken because he's experienced a miracle, right? So now I'm going to jam it open even further. So then I, I go next to, to Scott and go, hey, um, what does it tell you about God? That even though you totally deserved what happened to you, he loved you enough to heal you anyways. And I kid you not, he looks at me, his face drains of color. And he says, that's terrifying. <laughs> it's like, yes, it is. Have a good day. Okay. So <laughs> that's, that's the power of a box breaking moment. You get this, it messes with you, right? <clears throat> Sorry. The look on his face was just so priceless. I just, I just, has anyone spit on camera before? Okay. <clears throat> Let's go many times. Okay, good. Um, how about our weeds? Or energies. How does God disrupt those? These are wake-up calls. So, so the principle here is we're more teachable, and look at the word, while. Not after, while. 
being humbled by the painful fruit of our ways. Remember, the weeds are the things we're investing in, the the way that we're spending our energy. And life has this way, and God has this way of throwing that in our face, right? This is this is where, and this, by the way, when you're talking about like witnessing to someone else sharing your faith or whatever, this is where you say, I told you, no, we don't say that. Um, This is where we're tempted to ask about someone's life when they have clearly caused their own pain. The question we're tempted to ask is, and and how's that working for you? I I didn't uh, mean to advance the slide. Okay. How's that working for you, right? This is what we're thinking. And how's that working for you? Is that working out? So, So this happens to all of us. This happens to all of us where we are investing our time and our energies in a certain way. Other people can probably see like that's a waste of time or I wouldn't go down that road. Right. Or man, that, that group of friends you're spending way too much time with, that's going to come back to bite you. And then when it does, that's a wake up call. Um, The wake-up calls can be changes, too. It could be a death in the family. It could be a cancer diagnosis. This isn't necessarily our fault, right? It's just just a wake-up call. And suddenly, these convictions that we're holding on to so tightly, we start to loosen and we start to wonder, maybe there's something else. Now, what I'd love for you all to do today is I'd love for you to think with me, not just of your own life, I would like you to think of the parable of the soils because it's clearly baked into the meaning of it. The idea that there are people in your world, in your circle, and maybe you're here today and you're searching for Jesus, but people who don't know Jesus yet. Because when you're sharing your faith and you're trying to share truth, the parable's playing out. Like sometimes you try to share something, it bounces right off because... Hey, how many of you know, if you've tried to share your faith or you tried to talk about Jesus with someone whose life is going swimmingly well, they're firmly entrenched in their habits, their convictions seem to be working for them, and they kind of like the way they're spending their energies. I'm good. Now, try to plant a seed in that. Right? It's, it's difficult. So I want you to think of what this might look like. And I'm going to tell you a story to help accomplish that. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a guy named Bob. Bob, 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 Bob. It's not his real name. In practice, I kept saying his real name. So I'm going to try to say Bob, 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 Bob. If I say the other name, please edit that out. But so eight years ago, eight years ago or so, maybe nine, I met Bob. What about Bob? Well, I, I was working at Petland, and I was in the fish department, I wasn't getting paid extra to run it, but that's Petland. And so um, I was uh, talking, I was working in Petland and, and I was sharing my faith with people like just, they didn't they knew I was a believer. And the assistant manager came into the fish department one day to kind of just chew the fat. And so he and I are talking and he says to me, yeah, he says, uh, I'm, I'm an atheist. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, well, I guess I'm, I'm open, but right now I'm an atheist, atheist slash agnostic. But so he's using the words, like he's even thought this through. He says, I, just growing up, I was, I was abused. I had a terrible upbringing, very painful, and I just refused to believe that there could be a God, right? And so I'm like, okay. He says, I'm open, but it would take a lot, you know? Because he had heard stories about me and different things. And so I'm like, noted, 
right? So, so then um, it was like a couple of months later, we found ourselves at a Starbucks and we were having coffee. He invited me for coffee. And then he starts launching into a tirade like his atheist tirade against Christianity. He's like, what about the contradictions in scripture? And why would a good God develop, you know, allow pain and suffering? What? He had six or seven questions. And I can tell he's not even thinking. What am I encountering? He's on a path. He's running the script. This is what he always says, like this, right? And, and he's off, obviously, because he's, he's got these convictions wrapped, these the beliefs wrapped in emotion, forged in the fire of experience. He is not about to let them go because it feels true. Like, why would God? And so now, how do I broach this with him? So I'm praying about this. When he finishes his tirade, 10 or 12 minutes of asking questions, I said, Bob, we could spend the next hour or two debating and trying to run through your list of objections. I said, but quite honestly, what I'd rather do is talk about the fact that you were hurt really badly. And I kind of understand why you'd find it hard to believe in God. That's what I'd like to talk about. And he's kind of like, And I could see the walls come down. What just happened? Two things just happened. Number one, the path isn't taking him where he wants to go. He wants to get into a debate that leads nowhere. I'm like, let's talk about your heart. Second thing that happens, he's used to Christians taking debate. So now I've broken his box because I'm just caring about him as a person. So now we spend the next two hours talking about his upbringing and his pain, and he starts asking genuine questions. Sometime later, we found ourselves over lunch, and I drew out for him on a napkin because I I would look for ways of turning the conversation to spiritual things. On a napkin, I drew a diagram for him, three-circle diagram explaining the gospel. Have you ever heard of that? If you haven't, can you go to my website, bradhubert.com slash resources. It's called Three Circles. There's a video there explaining this. I, I, I share the gospel with him, and he's intent, just looking at this, going, this is... So we get to the end of the, the, the lunch. He says, can I, can I keep this? Yeah. How come? He says, well, I, I want to share this with my girlfriend. Like, I've never heard anyone share it like this before. And I'm like... I can't get Christians to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all. So my agnostic friend takes the napkin and shares the gospel with his girlfriend. Obviously that broke his box. He had not heard it that way before and it opened up a, a way of understanding it for him. Well, time goes on. I ended up officiating their wedding. It, they had a super rocky relationship, two non-Christian, you know, and eventually it just, it exploded. It exploded. They had very unhealthy lifestyles and they were running the wrong way and stuff just went south in a big way. It was, it was awful. Some legal stuff, you know, kind of unfolded out of that. He gets kicked out of the house. He's living in Silver Springs. I'm living in Coventry Hills. I hadn't seen him in like a number of months and so I kind of lost track of him a little bit. And I, I, you know, we had talked many times. I'd shared the gospel with him many times. But then I'm shooting hoops outside my house. 
because we are living on a keyhole cul-de-sac, and a car pulls up, and it's Bob. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I live here. He says, I moved in with my buddy just down the hill. So out of all the places he could have lived and moved to in all of Calgary, a buddy living 250 feet from my house, uh, a suite opens up in the basement. He says, you should, you should. So he moves in. So now I break his box again. I said, Luke, God's after you. <laughs> like, what are the chances? He's like, there are no chances. I said, I know, I know. So throughout COVID, now he's super close. So I can just drop by and stuff. So something shifts through COVID. All of a sudden, Luke is talking about God. Bob. (laughs) You heard nothing. Bob's... (laughs) Bob. Bob, 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 Bob. Bob's talking about God. And then... I'm going through some stuff, and he says, well, I'll pray for you. What? Yeah, well, I'll pray for you. Okay. So now I'm feeding him. I want to get him talking to God, so I'm feeding him prayer requests, like, because I'm like, then you'll talk to God. So then, um, then at some point, like, he's talking about God. Now he's talking about Jesus. 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 And then just a couple of months ago, he, he, uh, he tells me, I had this, the weirdest experience. My uncle, who's dying of, I, I think it's emphysema or something, this kind of bitter old man, Bob goes to visit him and says, uh, you know, what's going on? And, and you know, like, what are you, what are you struggling with? And, and this uncle says, you know, Bob, we live, we die, we rot. That's all there is. And my non-Christian friend says to me, inside of me, Brad, I feel something saying, no, that's not true. And he says, I find myself saying this to him. He says to his uncle, do you think that in the vastness of the universe and everything that you don't know, there might be room for a God out there somewhere who loves you and wants a relationship with you. Wow. And then a couple of weeks ago, maybe it's a month ago by now, he says, "Um, hey, if I would ever want to get baptized, would you do that? Oh, yeah, I would do that. (laughs) Man. And then just a couple of weeks ago, he said, hey, Let's pick a day. I'm ready. And this is the way he wants to give his life to Jesus. He wants to get baptized. It's a story of seeds, isn't it? Being planted of of the interruptions that God uses, the divine sacrament of disruption that made him, that opened windows of opportunity that I was able to jump through and plant seeds where ordinarily there would have been hardness of heart. And so I'm not claiming credit, but I'm, I'm telling you, this is powerful stuff. So in closing, if we 
instead of rejecting disruption and trying to put things back to normal as quickly as possible, if we lean into life change, wrestle with our box breakers and others, and welcome wake-up calls, both in ours and others' lives, God's word will transform us and transform others through us. Let's pray. Jesus, I am poor. Would you please take these words of mine that I've tried to express? I don't think I've quite got there, but you can do the planting. You can do that. Would you enable us, even in this moment, to tear open our own ribcage and go, Jesus, plant the seed deep. God, help us to be open to your disruption of our paths, our, our rocks, our weeds. Help us to look for those windows of opportunities in other people's lives. And use us for your kingdom and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. There must be more to life than this. As I was just hearing Brad speak and, and just hearing those words of uh, that bitter uncle, this idea of we, we live, we die, we rot. Right? There must be more to life than this. What does it look like for us to, to experience that life? Or maybe there's others, people in our lives that we're, we want them to actually experience this life. It just reminded me of this verse uh, in Romans 6 that talks about uh, death, uh, life, and resurrection, burial, and resurrection. It talks of those who have actually died with Christ may actually experience the same resurrection that he did. There's life, there's hope, and not just something that we experience in the far future, but something we can experience here and now and forevermore. What does it look like for us to actually die with Christ? Christ, that we actually may live in Christ. It's a weird concept, but there is more to life than just going through those motions, these habits, these energies, that God actually has more in store for us and actually those around us and for all people. And if you're somebody here who wants to explore that life a little bit more, if you're either in person or online, uh, we would love to explore that with you. Uh, that have a conversation. We've got prayer teams that get better up in the front that if there are things that are going on, either uh, right, those things are habits or convictions or uh, these energies that are getting in the way, we would love to even just pray for you. What does that actually look like to let those things die? Those unhealthy ones. Let those things die that we can actually live in this resurrection life here and now. And maybe you have uh, people in your life that are like, oh, actually, maybe they need prayer. You know, it's great to actually pray with each other, to intercede together, to actually pray for other people, uh, yeah, on behalf with you. Uh, so if you're looking for prayer, we have prayer teams, or even if you're looking for a further conversation, please just chat with somebody, uh, or even just pray this prayer uh, as we just close in prayer. Uh, so God, we want to thank you for these, these stories and these parables and these illustrations, these things that actually just uh, sink deeper than our head knowledge, but they actually sink into our hearts. God, I just pray this idea of this reversal of this condition of our hearts and these things that are actually going on in our hearts and the ways that they actually may be hard. Uh, in the Psalms, it says, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
And I think this goes both ways. Sometimes this goes in negative ways. If we're desiring these negative things, God lets those things go in our lives. But if we're desiring the things of you, that we let those things grow and let those things flourish, that that is the desire of our heart that is also God's desire for us. So God, let us desire you to put away those old habits and these unhealthy energies and these things that just don't feel like they're actually leading to life and life to the fullest, this resurrection life. God, let us be able to put those things aside. Let us delight in you. And Lord, just give us those desires of our hearts to have that full resurrection life with you here and now and forevermore. We praise things in your name. Amen. All right, well, everyone, thanks for coming. Hope you have a blessed week. Uh, Don't forget that we've got prayer teams at the front. We have prayer teams online. If you go to uh, prayer at sunwestchurch.com, or sunwest, yeah, prayer at sunwestchurch.com, we would love to be able to pray for you there. Also, if you're able to stick around a little bit longer, uh, we've got chairs. If we can set up chairs about eight high and get them out of the way, that would be fantastic. And continue to pray for the 80-some kids that are going to be roaming this building this week. Have a good week. Thank mm-hmm. you.